Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to That Spooky early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Apple Podcasts. You're listening to a Morbid Network podcast. Whether you hydrate to live or live to hydrate, Liquid IV quenches your thirst faster than water alone. With three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drink, plus eight vitamins and nutrients for everyday wellness, all in a single sugar-free stick. Liquid IV is perfect for daily use before a workout, when you feel run down, after a long night out, or on long flights. Basically, anytime you need a pick-me-up, however you hydrate. Grab your Liquid IV Hydration Multiplier Sugar-Free in bulk nationwide at Costco. Or get 20% off your first order when you go to liquidiv.com and use code WONDERY at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code WONDERY at liquidiv.com. You got a dead body, Inspector. I may be able to help with that. This winter, all your favorite detectives are streaming on BritBox. Don't miss exclusive new seasons of Death in Paradise. There must be something we've missed. Vera. It wasn't an accident, was it, love? Father Brown. What did he look like? And more. Once you start investigating, you won't want to stop. We're done when I say we're done. Stream your favorite detectives only on BritBox. Start a free trial at BritBox.com. supporting these vivacious creators. My blessings are upon you. Good day. <laughs> Sandra Bullock, formless fuck. Yeah, Sandra Bullock is sounding pretty austere in her older years. It's a good look. Mm-hmm, that's a good sound. Yeah, I think it's good for her. It's like a shake-up after Jesse James. <laughs> yeah, as if you need any more of a shake-up after Jesse James. Yeah, it's you like Sandra saying? Bullock in a velvet robe, swishing a glass of brandy, telling stories from an old leather book. You know, <laughs> right, like That's yeah. the Sandra Bullock I envision for the future. Well, hi everyone, I'm Johnny. I'm Tyler. And you're listening to That Spooky, a weekly podcast that's kind of like that gay nightmare on Elm Street. Do you remember that gay nightmare on Elm Street? Oh, bitch, yes I do. Number two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course, leave it to the gays to have number two, a poop joke. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, we made it, week ten. Woo, double digits. I know, right? We're growing up right before my very eyes. Right, we're over the hill. Yeah, speaking of over the hill, my gay death is this week. Oh yeah, Johnny's turning 30. Yeah, I guess this is my funeral episode. Yeah. Oh my God, guys, my gay death is upon us. I'm turning 30 on Friday. I don't really mind, though. I'm ready to be forgotten. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, you're going to be like the butterfly, you know, in the cocoon. And every step that you take, the butterfly's in the cocoon. 
and is changing into the butterfly. And that butterfly is a daddy. <laughs> that butterfly is a daddy. But yeah, I mean, like, all jokes aside, I'm actually really looking forward to my 30s, I have to admit. So, hasta la vista, 20s. The next time you hear my voice, I will be a man. In just seven days, <laughs> it'll make you a man. Speaking of things that are dead on arrival, the Drag Race Christmas special happened. Oh my god, girl. We were all duped. I fucking know. It was like, we arrive, and then eight minutes in, they're like, bam, it's a musical. Like, here's the deal. (laughs) No one won. No. It was like... We all lost. Yeah, well, it was kind of like an elementary school track meet. Well, it was just like the fact that it wasn't advertised at all to be a musical, and then it was just a fucking musical was not cool. Yeah, and then they're like, brown ribbons for everyone. Everyone wins. We have no gold, silver, and bronze. Oh, my God, I got a lot of brown ribbons as a kid. Yeah, I was a fat kid in elementary school track, so, I mean, the story writes itself. Yeah, (laughs) totally. But anyway, the special was just not really that special. Okay, but let's talk about some positive stuff, because I don't want to start my old gay years as a bitter old gay just yet. Right. So, what did we like? I liked Jasmine with a bag on her head. I love Jasmine with a bag on her head. I absolutely (laughs) loved that. To that note, our friend Leah made a comment that, you know the movie Black Christmas? Oh, hell yeah. You know, the beginning of the movie where one of like the sorority girls gets a bag thrown over her head and she gets mm-hmm. suffocated and thrown up in the attic. How could I forget? Yeah, that was that look. <laughs> oh my god, yes, it was Black Christmas Couture. Yeah. Okay, what are the other highlights of the Hollis Lay special? The chestnuts, the trees with the chestnuts. Mm-hmm. Get those chestnuts away from my face. That Lo- was good. Yeah, love a throwback. I would have to say Sonique was just like a general high point of yes. the special. Like, how dare you look so good? Good. Mm-hmm. That is question one. Question two, who the fuck do you think you are wearing that gorgeous brown pantsuit on the runway? Right? That was like a Madonna Gautier moment. You pulled off a wide leg trouser. Like, there were so many things going on that were right with that. Yeah. That hair, that makeup. Just, I hope Sonique got an extra 20,000 Instagram followers after that, or yeah. like more. Yeah. It's like, fucking throw your money at her, put her on an All-Stars, please. Yes. Why we're talking about runway, though, how about Mayhem Miller's Krampus? Mm-hmm. I'm Anna Nicole Smith clapping at that. Yes. You freaking <laughs> genius. That was so good. <laughs> that was so good. That I'll was accept my, the first one. <laughs> that was my brand of Christmas, like Christmas creep. Uh, yes. Fuck yeah. We love a spooky bitch. Right? Especially, like, it was like a Tina Turner Krampus moment. Yeah. I was into it. Yeah. And then there was the moment of reckoning where RuPaul stormed the girls on the stage and showed them all how to do it. You hire a stunt double mm-hmm. with a shitty wig for mm-hmm. you and your friend, mm-hmm. and you put together a nice chopped up lip sync with everyone cheering for you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Grandma won the boxing match with one punch. Yep. One punch in the form of Michelle Visage. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, I am always happy to see more queers on TV. Yes. Yes, bitch. Okay, so I want to talk about something before we get into it this week. Yeah. It's something I found in the news. I really kind of love it. Okay. Okay, so we all know Miss PETA, right? Oh, yeah, we know her. Yeah, so People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Uh, They're an organization. They're animal rights activists. I'm not knocking them. 
but I'm going to tell you all right now, PETA on December 4th put out some, how do I say, recommendations on Twitter. Okay. So basically they put out an infographic that invited people to replace, as they called, anti-animal language or speciesism in their language. You know what I mean? Vaguely? You have no fucking idea. So (laughs) what I mean by this is PETA was like, hey, you've got all these catchphrases that talk about hurting animals that are like pretty popular in the common vernacular. Okay. So why don't we look at some possible replacements? Like what? Well, here's what they say. So the top of it, it says stop using anti-animal language instead of, and I'm going to go, I'm going to leave my favorite till the last. So instead of beat a dead horse... (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It could be, uh, look, not to feed a dead horse here. <laughs> Thoughts? Um, sure. I mean, the horse ain't hungry, don't feed it. Yeah, I mean. If the like, horse is dead, don't feed it. Wow. Sure. Someone's going to get that tattooed someday. So the next one is instead of bring home the bacon, try bring home the bagels. No, no, no. That one doesn't work. Why not? Bagels are not very expensive and bacon is real expensive. Do you remember the day that you brought home two bags of bagels from a job that you had because your neighbor was a bagel shop and they were just like, we've got all this shit that we need to get rid of. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't be doing that with bacon. The day that you did that, I felt so supported as your (laughs) fiance and partner. I brought home the bagels. You truly did bring home the bagels. They still sit in our freezer to this day. They weren't really that good. Look, some of them (laughs) had weird seats on them. Moving. Moving on, instead of take the bull by the horns, you can take the flower by the thorns. Oh, bitch. Yeah, think about it. And maybe instead of be the guinea pig, you could be the test tube. Scientific. Yeah, sure. Sure, why not? But here's my absolute fucking favorite. Instead of the phrase, kill two birds with one stone, PETA suggests that you say, feed two birds with one scone. (laughs) Thoughts and feelings? Scones are good. I mean, why the fuck not? Yeah, why not feed two birds? Hey, if the scone's big enough, you might be able to feed three. I love that you're really thinking about how we can spread this out between the birds here. (laughs) Hey, I'm frugal. Look, I love the comedic value of this i hope they do more yeah in fact okay i've got one for you okay instead of running around like a chicken with its head cut off okay you could say geez i was running around like a chicken with its phone shut off (laughs) this chicken doesn't want to miss any calls it's got to get to a charger right away that would be a panicking chicken how about more than one way to skin a cat okay it could be more than one way to skin a potato I think both of those work. Right? Okay, so PETA, if you want to take those, just feel free to PayPal mm-hmm. us. That's SpookyPod at gmail.com. Yep. So, like, remix 2019, mm-hmm. set fires for the animals. Yes. Let's do it. Let's change up the words. Guys, let's change the world. <laughs> let's change the world together, one aphorism <laughs> at a time. Okay, girl. So, do you have any oopsie poopsies from last week? One oopsie poopsie. Mm-hmm. One oopsie poopsie. At one point, talking about something i said from a to z that was incorrect i meant to say a to z i'm canadian z only sounds like c and it makes me confused so i'm correcting a to z yeah i remember you caught it just before i posted it Mm -hmm. and i think you may have been a little bit inspired by the ricardo lopez (laughs) moment because you were like can we maybe re-record that yeah can can we record me like put z in there yeah 
Yeah, no. <laughs> my Canadian sensibilities were harm. Yeah, well, my productivity sensibilities were not feeling that. So Totally fair. So we put it in the oopsie poopsie. Yeah, welcome. Do you have any oopsie poopsies, Johnny? Eh, not really, but I will say something that I did kind of consciously leave out of last week's story about Dorian Corey, you know, you remember that? Oh, yes. Okay, so there is a theory that some people have thrown around that Lois Taylor, the person who was Dorian's caretaker in her last few years. Right, the one who found the body? Yeah, so some people say that maybe Lois Taylor was the one who had committed the murder and brought the body there and just passed it off on to Dorian because Dorian was dead. I didn't want to give that any life, and, you know, I'm going to bring it up now just to kind of say, like, sure, I acknowledge that people say it. I think it's total bullshit, and honestly, I just think it's kind of like a lazy conclusion that some people have drawn because they noticed that she was, like, anxious to get the fuck out of there. Well, yeah, she found a body. Exactly. And fucking take into consideration how she was being treated by the cops in the moment as a gender nonconforming woman of color in the early 90s in New York, Mm -hmm. you know, with a dead body in the room that she's found. I mean, like, I don't fucking blame her for getting out of there because the police were looking at her and saying, like, if we find your fingerprints on this body, you know, dot, dot, dot. So, yeah, yeah, just fuck off with that. I don't think it's a real thing. I didn't really want to pay any lip service and you know that's that totally fair call it out so birthday boy since you don't have that much time left (laughs) and it's your gay funeral i think maybe you should go first this week wow thank you for your veneration of the dead tyler welcome yeah and uh, i feel like we should also just unpack for anyone who doesn't know gay death is just kind of a little joke in the gay community because Mm -hmm. like little superficial gays don't see people above the age of 30 as like viable But if you want to make my gay funeral a real barn burner, if you want to lay down some flowers for me, you can do that by, like, getting me something. Like, oh, I don't know, like, put us in the new and noteworthy on Apple Podcasts. Hey. Yeah, and you can do that by reviewing the show. So if you, like, scroll down on the Apple page, you can hop on there. You can write something sexy. You can rate us five stars. (laughs) They look at that, and then they look at how many people are downloading the episodes. So, you know, like, pick two friends share it. Yeah, and then when you share it with them, tell them that if they don't share it with somebody else, they're going to die in seven days. Totally, and you can send, like, an email with, like, a picture of a freaky girl at the beginning of it, and you can be like, this is Sandra Bullock. She died 50 (laughs) years ago. Her favorite radio program was called That's Spooky, and then explain to them how to get onto it. You know, just, like, do it for Sandy. Yeah. Do it for me. Yeah. Aren't we, like, friends? Yeah. Okay, so (laughs) this week I've got a story that's kind of near and dear to my heart. Cool. It's true crime. Ooh. It's a little bit of a mystery, and it kind of goes back to my roots. Okay. So we're going to be going into some punk shit. Ooh, bitch. Yeah, so today I'm going to be talking about the death of Nancy Spungen (gasps) of Sid and Nancy fame. Mm -hmm. Okay, so pack your bags, mama. We're going to New York. Ooh, yeah, we love New York. I know, right? It's like very cosmopolitan. Yeah. Yeah. So it's October 12th, 1978. Nancy Spungen, the 20 year old girlfriend of Sid Vicious, the bass player of the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Is found stabbed to death in their hotel room at the Chelsea Hotel. Oh, poor baby. I know. Right. So Nancy's public image was that she was like brash, abrasive, a controlling, jealous girlfriend of Sid. Mm -hmm. Basically, they painted her with this shitty like Yoko Ono of the punk scene image. Right. You know, all that kind of bullshit. 
shit. Yeah. But Nancy was born Nancy Laura Spungin on February 27th, 1958. But things were kind of tough from the jump for Nancy. She was born with her umbilical cord wrapped around her neck. It was choking her. Ooh, that's not a good look. No, and it limited her oxygen. And she actually had a rare form of jaundice, which caused her to have to get blood transfusions, like basically Whoa. straight from birth. Yeah, and it's actually been proven that babies that have a lack of oxygen can kind of be at high risk of developing aggressive behavior and mental illness later on in life. Right. There have been some studies, but this kind of comes into play because Nancy, by all accounts, was a very unhappy baby. Right. She was prone to, like, screaming outbursts, like her mother said, like, more than a normal baby. This wasn't her first child. She'd kind of encountered, like, an upset kid before. Right. And it was so out of control that a pediatrician actually prescribed her barbiturates, like liquid barbiturates, a sedative. Whoa. Age of three months old. Oh my God. Yeah. And Nancy actually started therapy by the age of four. Wow. She's a baby with an attitude. Yeah, she was a boss-ass baby. But, I mean, she was a baby in therapy at the same time, so Mm -hmm. the parents were taking steps. Yep. But as she grew up, she didn't really end up having a lot of friends. Right. She was really fucking smart. So she scored superior on an IQ test at the age of five, and she ended up skipping the third grade. But at the same time, she was really violent toward her sister, Susan. Right. And reportedly very mothering toward her brother, David. So, yeah, she kind of had these contrasting tendencies and by the age of 15 she was actually diagnosed schizophrenic whoa yeah after a suicide attempt unfortunately but nancy trudged on and she ended up graduating high school and getting into the university of colorado boulder wow okay yeah But five months in her freshman year, she was arrested for purchasing cannabis from an undercover cop. Are you kidding me? No, and she was expelled. And then here's the most punk rock fucking thing. She was banished from the state of Colorado. (laughs) What? For pot. The whole state. Like, nobody else up in Colorado is lighting up a joint. Like, come on. I fucking know, right? Nancy ended up leaving home at the age of 17, and she moved to New York. uh, And she supported herself by stripping and sex work, uh, as well as selling drugs. Right. She kind of became integrated into the punk scene and known among there as like a drug dealer. People say that she started following bands like Aerosmith and the New York Dolls, the Ramones. Yeah, you know, like that proto-punk stuff, like glam rock, all that kind of stuff. Totally. But she was like really infatuated with the punk scene. People say that she gave off a really older vibe. So she was like 17 years old and a lot of people thought that she was like 27. Wow. Like they just looked at her and they were like, shit, you've lived. And for visual reference, she looked looked like Courtney Love. Oh. Like, yeah, it's kind of that, like, bottle blonde, red lipstick, punk rock girl image. Cute. And Nancy ended up moving to London in 1976. Supposedly, according to legend, it was to win over Jerry Nolan of the New York Dolls, but instead she met the Sex Pistols. Right. So as part of this, like, grand narrative that Nancy is, like, a band-aid, you know, like a groupie, that kind of fucking bullshit, Mm -hmm. they say that she tried to get with Johnny Rotten, and he didn't show any interest in her so right. then she settled for the bassist oh come on and i mean i've played bass in bands i get it sure <laughs> i don't know i i like the bass i think the bass is a cool instrument and that's why you're engaged to me mm-hmm. so let's talk about sid vicious for a second let's call him vicky okay i feel like that's way cuter yeah so vicky was born john simon ritchie in lewisham london john simon ritchie i know right 
but then he called himself Sid Vicious when he was a teenager. And now we're calling him Vicky. Welcome to the stage, Miss Vicky. <laughs> so Miss Vicky was raised by a single mother who dealt with a lot of substance abuse issues. Okay. He actually used to be a roommate with Viv Albertine, the guitarist from The Slits, if we want to talk about wicked punk rock ladies. Oh, hey. Yeah. And his first band was actually with Viv Albertine and Palm Olive from The Slits. Oh. Yeah, and they were called Flowers of Romance. So he played around some bands in London. He ended up playing drums for Susie and the Banshees. Shit. Yeah, just a little bit, though, because then he got arrested for partially blinding a girl with a glass. What yeah. the fuck? Mm-hmm. So he no. throws it at a pillar. It ricochets off, goes in this girl's eye, bada bing, bada boom. This becomes a theme for Sid. He really likes to express himself with glassware. Right, by smashing it mm-hmm. around people. You're damn right he does. And then Miss Vicky joined the Sex Pistols in 1977. So they got rid of their bassist. They were already a thing. And Miss Vicky just went to all of their shows. Right. Yeah. And their manager, Malcolm McLaren, mm-hmm. you know, real hot shot. He sure. was like, yeah, this guy's Sid Vicious. He's never seen a red light, only green. And then like he was also <laughs> quoted in like something saying, if Johnny Rotten is the voice of punk, Vicious is the attitude. Okay. I know, right? And you want to hear a cool, chill story about his mm-hmm. punk attitude? Yeah. So one time this guy named Mark Helfond, uh, who was a friend of the Sex Pistols, went over to Sid Vicious's apartment and Sid's like, oh, hey, girl, what's up? And there's like a cat that's roaming around that was like one of the roommates. Yeah. And Sid just like very like nonchalantly just fashions a noose, takes the cat, hangs it while <gasps> looking this dude straight in the fucking eye. It's like, welcome to my home. Now I'm hanging a cat right in front of you, like holding what? it out in his hand. The cat dies in front of him. This guy is so gobsmacked. What? He doesn't know what the fuck to do. Mark Helfond has actually said that like one of his biggest regrets in life was not stopping Sid in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So Sid is a real fucking winner to begin with. Yeah. I feel like Peter would have a lot of things to say about him hanging that cat. You know, he should be skinning potatoes. I know, right? He's crazier than a bag of bananas, right? So yeah, Sid Vicious, harming animals. Maybe he had a head injury. Maybe he wet the bed. He sounds like a fucking serial killer, right? Maybe he was a jackass. Yeah. And all T, he was a jackass and he sucked at the base. He actually had no experience playing it before joining the Sex Pistols and it was kind of a point of contention in the band. Mm -hmm. And if we really want to get down to brass tacks, honey, because everyone seems to love Miss Vicky over here, he only really worked on two Sex Pistols songs that were recorded. (laughs) Um, During the recording of Nevermind the Bollocks, Here's the Sex Pistols, which Mm -hmm. was like the album that he was there for, he was in the hospital with hepatitis. Okay. And the band was kind of like, all right, Miss Thang, you go deal with that. We don't really care because you can't really play. So they weren't really shaken by the whole deal. (laughs) So who played the bass? Somebody else? They had session musicians and they had... Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of funny though because when you think of the Sex Pistols, you think of Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious. Yeah, 100. Mm -hmm. So yeah, baby, it's all sound and fury over here. So anyway, Sid and Nancy ended up meeting each other at a Sex Pistols show. They end up becoming boyfriend, girlfriend. And when Sid is in the hospital, Nancy is pretty actively visiting him. Right. So shortly after he gets out of his hepatitis bout in the hospital, they move in together because Nancy's just like, you know what? This guy's secure. (laughs) Totally. Anyway, the deal is, though, people kind of blame Nancy for getting Sid hooked on heroin. Oh, okay. Sure, Nancy did heroin. 
Sid was already fucked up to begin with. Right. I'm sure he could have found it when he wanted it. Well, yeah, and there's this kind of shitty narrative that's painted that Nancy Spungen came over from New York and got all the boys in the London punk scene hooked on heroin. Right. Yeah, she's like this American she-devil and all this kind of shit. Mm-hmm. You know what, though? A lot of these boys were fucked up on drugs well before Nancy Spungen came yeah. to town, Sid Vicious being one of them. He's fucking mutilating animals. He's fucking beating women up, blinding them, yeah. and, like, fucked on a number of other drugs as it is. So, like, surprise, surprise, he gets hooked on heroin. Yeah. And I'm not trying to minimize heroin addiction here, but, like, let's just call it what it is. Yeah, it's just not surprising that he would find his way there. Well, yeah, and I mean, like, he also dabbled in, like, neo-Nazi shit. He always wore a fucking swastika on his shirt. Mm. And it kind of played into this whole fucking image that he had, that he was, like, this idiot savant, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, people really believe this bullshit, like, oh, yeah, you know, he's, like, subverting the symbols by using it and reclaiming power, and people just get offended by it and they don't really know what he's doing and it's like no he was just a little snot-nosed kid that liked the fucking shock Mm -hmm. value of it right let's really call it what it is people it's the same reason kenneth anger used that shit in his movies it gets a fucking rise out of you and yes that's punk as fuck but like let's not call the guy a genius right exactly it was like when i was a 13 year old boy and i wanted to be punk as fuck and i wanted to get the shirt with the anarchy symbol on it and my mom was like do you even know what that means and i was like no She's like, okay, well, look it up, and if you still want the shirt. Yeah, totally. So Sid and Nancy, they become, like, this punk rock power couple. Like, punk becomes, like, a bit of a phenomenon. It's big in London. It's big in New York. Mm-hmm. They're all over the papers. They start calling Nancy nauseating Nancy. Oh, she, come on. Yeah, she becomes known for, like, public outbursts and antics with Sid. And, I mean, like, here's the truth, though. Nancy was a bit of a shitty kid. Like, let's be real. Sure. You know, she was trying to make shit work in her life Mm -hmm. but there were some fucking obstacles there for her and it really doesn't help that people painted her with this broad brush of just being like this psycho bitch of a woman sure so here we have Sid and Nancy in the public eye the sex pistols are huge everything's cool you know yeah Here's the deal, though. Everything's not cool. The Sex Pistols end up breaking up in January of 1978. Sid and Nancy move to New York to start a new life together. Right. Nancy is now Sid's part-time manager. He's embarking on a solo career. Right. And they end up taking up residence at the Chelsea Hotel. Okay. So we know the Chelsea Hotel, right? Built in 1884. It's this iconic landmark in New York. It's known for housing artists like Patti Smith, Mm -hmm. Leonard Cohen, Janis Joplin, Madonna, all of these people. It was also a really crime-ridden hotel. Like, it was falling apart. There was a lot of shit going on there. But it was one of those, like, low-rent artist paradises. It was cheap and lawless, you know? It's that kind of thing. Totally. it's really heavily romanticized by a lot of people. But when you listen to interviews with people who actually lived there, they're like, yeah. look, you know, like Leonard Cohen wrote the song and all that kind of stuff. But let's be real. It was pretty fucking dirty and grubby. There were yeah. floors that we refused to go above because you knew at that point you were going to get fucked up. Shit. And if you could get a room on one of those floors, you didn't 
take the room. Wow. So the Chelsea had its flaws. Yeah. And Sid and Nancy move into room number 100. So Nancy's managing Sid on this new solo career, which kind of just consists of him playing shows at Max's Kansas City, which right. is like this bar in New York. It was like a huge meeting spot for like the artists, kind of like where the beat generation and the punks shook hands, you know? Mm-hmm. And like you'd have like Patti Smith and Andy Warhol and yeah. Alan Ginsberg and all these fucking people back there. And, you know, like Candy Darling and Jane County up on the fucking stage and just all these kind of like luminaries and creatives of the time. Damn. This is where they all got together. And Sid was kind of like doing his shows there. And he was, you know, packing the place, whatever. Yeah. Things were looking cool. But unfortunately, this is Miss Vicky we're talking about mm-hmm. here. So shit's really on a downward curve at this moment. Sure. So he's getting increasingly violent. They're getting increasingly more fucked on drugs. They are kind of like the shitty prom king and queen of New York punk. Risa Risa, who was like a fashion designer in the scene, tells this story in a documentary I was watching about how she was like looking for a friend at a bar one night. Mm-hmm. She runs into Sid and Nancy coming down the stairs and she's like, hey, Sid, have you seen my friend Frenchie? And Sid, who was like a friend of hers, mm-hmm. just looks at her and then Nancy reportedly says, do it to her now. And then Sid just slams Risa's head against the wall. What the fuck? Yeah, it was really fucked up, what man. What a piece of shit. Yeah, so they're kind of like this fucking chaotic duo that's like rolling around New York. Mm-hmm. And like people even said that they used to like follow them around, hoping that money would drop out of their pockets oh, because shit. that was a thing that happened. Because they were just such a mess all the time. Yeah, and Sid refused to be paid in anything but cash. Right. Yeah, because he wanted to be able to get hooked up with drugs real fucking quick. So there's actually this interview from 1978 of the two of them in bed just shortly after Sid had left the Sex Pistols and they're trying Mm -hmm. to interview him about this. But Sid is such a fucked up mess that he's like sitting there next to Nancy, like upright in bed with sunglasses on and he's just falling asleep mid-sentence. Wow. And most of the video is Nancy like shoving him, being like, Sid, wake up, wake up. And getting like really fucking annoyed with him because he's just this mess and she's having to answer the questions for him. (laughs) And then he's like, you're doing a good job. It's fucking heart-wrenching to see because Mm -hmm. she's berating him because she's like, these people are here to interview you and you're not talking to them. You're falling asleep. You can really tell that she's at the end of her fucking rope with this guy. She's like, I'll make you a cup of coffee. She makes it for him. He's sitting there and then he fucking dumps some of the coffee on her because he falls a fucking sleep while he's sitting up because he's so fucked up on heroin. And she's like saying, you know, like he's been sick for weeks. And like, you can see it in the video. She's like pissed off. And she's like, you poured orange juice on me last week and coffee on me last week. And you keep dropping your fucking cigarettes on me. Don't ever drop anything on me again. Wow. Yeah. Like it was just really not looking good. And then, you know, Sid just kind of mumbles his way through the rest of the interview. Right. But I mean, like you can say what you want about Nancy, but Sid Vicious was a fucking walking liability. Yeah. So they moved to New York January of 1978. Right. All of this shit is going on. October 12th, 1978, Nancy is found dead in the bathroom of their room at the Chelsea Hotel. She's on the floor under the sink. Wow. She has a stab wound in her abdomen, kind of center underneath her belly button. And the coroners believe that she had been stabbed sometime after midnight, having died between about 5 and 9 a.m. She was stabbed with a Jaguar K11 hunting knife that they found on the scene. It had been wiped down, so there were no fingerprints, there were no anything on it. 
the knife reportedly belonged to Sid Vicious. Shit. Sid was the one who called the cops. He had told them that he woke up and without seeing Nancy, without seeing anything, Mm -hmm. went to a methadone clinic. And when he came back with Nancy's methadone, he found her in the bathroom at about 10.30 in the morning. Oh, so he got up, left, and didn't even realize she was dead in the bathroom. According to Apparently. Sid, though, had been the only suspect on the scene and having spent the night in the room is arrested and charged with second-degree murder. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. James Merberg, who's Sid's attorney, basically says that when he first meets Sid, he's like fragile, he's frantic. Mm -hmm. So in his first statement to the cops, Miss Vicky basically says that the night before he took a two and all, uh, which is like, you know, like pills, passed out, doesn't remember anything falls asleep. Right. You know, and then says, wakes up the next morning, blah, blah, blah. That statement was thrown out. I'm just going to say that right now. Put that in your hat, mama. Okay. So in his statement to the police, he basically says, discovered the body. And then he goes on about how he wishes that he had been killed instead. And then basically positively identifies the body as Nancy. And I just want to say, if this is true, and it's just like this scenario of like, you take some sort of drug, you go to bed, you have a real good night's sleep, you don't fucking remember anything. You wake up the next morning, you run an errand, you come back and your partner has been stabbed to death in your apartment. And then everyone's looking at it and being like, well, you were there. Yeah. I mean, that would be fucking horrifying. Yes, that would. Yeah. But what would be even more horrifying to that is if you give a statement to the police like Miss Vicky did do, Mm -hmm. and you're like, "Mm, no, I... I didn't do it. But then you give another statement a little while later saying that you fucking did and that you had an argument with her and it must have been an accident. And you tell them, I quote, I did it because I'm a dirty dog. What? Fucking right. So this becomes the accepted version of events. But yeah, this is on the record. Sid ends up admitting to the fucking police. I'm not sure if there was like some making a murderer, kind of like coaxing confessions. But I mean, you admitted it, dude. And I mean, there are other inconsistencies. Like Miss Vicky told the cops that when he first found Nancy, she was still breathing, which would have been fucking impossible. Right. But that's kind of where it stood. So he's all over the place, basically. Yeah, he is 100% all over the place and in the grand tradition of being all over the place 
people are like, oh, it can't be Sid. Really? Oh, yeah. And this is kind of like where we go into Speculation City. Right. Because even though Sid admitted to it, a lot of people don't buy that it was Sid. Right. Not Miss Vicky. Not Miss Vicky who would bang people's head against the walls. Not Miss Vicky who would smash glasses and blind people. I know, right? Miss Vicky is truly a pillar of her community. No, well, people just don't think that Sid could have done it because the neighbors say that they didn't hear a fight the night before. And Sid and Nancy were, like, known for having really loud, really kind of, like, caustic fights. Okay. And, I mean, like, on a good day, they were kind of loud AF, you know Right, what I mean? so if it got to the point of murder, it probably would have escalated. Exactly. Like, if it was something of this magnitude, people would have heard it. Right. And the other thing was, he was fucked up on two and all the night before. So, I mean, Sid honestly didn't know whether he did it or not. So when he confessed to it, right. it was just him kind of surmising that it could have been the result of a fight that they were having that he just doesn't remember. Right. And I mean, that kind of goes with what everyone knows, because it was kind of a known fact that Sid and Nancy were spending most of their time fucked up in this room. I mean, we were talking about that video, like, it was in the public eye, so, Mm -hmm. but I mean, the reality of that is that a lot of people knew that they were just in this room with a lot of cash on them, fucked up all the time. Right. So they were kind of an easy target. Right, it's true. I mean, there was a certain level in which people would not go up into the Chelsea, so, you know, that level could come down. (laughs) But at the same time, you have to think about the other side of it. There are two heroin addicts in a relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm not making a value judgment on people who do heroin, but what I'm saying is that they were two highly unpredictable people who were highly under the influence 24-7. They were young, they had money, they Mm -hmm. had access. And, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, it doesn't matter how much you love somebody, it kind of goes out the window when there are drugs like heroin involved. Right. And, you know, there were issues between the two of them that their friends knew about where they were, like, stealing drugs from each other. And, I mean, ultimately, Sid went out and got Nancy methadone. So there was an attempt to get clean going on. And something that I've heard people say when kind of talking about the reality of, you know, Sid killing Nancy is that, you know, if you have two heroin addicts in a tiny hotel room Mm -hmm. with one bed, you need that bed to get clean. Right. And it's real hard if there are two people in that bed going through withdrawals, you know, especially when there are two people that are in such a codependent relationship. Right. You know, it's like there's not one person there to keep the other one in check. So it it creates a really possibly volatile situation from the get-go. But speaking of beds, if we're going to talk about this theory that, you know, people think that Sid didn't kill Nancy, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people point to the fact that there were three mattresses on the floor of this hotel room. One of them was very close to the pool of blood that was Nancy's, and it had a bloody handprint on it. Sid was sleeping on a mattress that was on the other side of the room from all of this stuff. Right. And when investigators went through the apartment, they actually only found four of Sid's fingerprints on the entire room, which in some people's eyes is exonerating. But in my eyes could also be kind of damning because it's like, oh, bitch is cleaning up, honey. Right. But I also don't think Sid really has his druthers enough to be cleaning up, if you know what I mean. Fair enough. But yeah, it's really ambiguous. And then there's this other reality where they've been able to put together that Nancy died three hours after being stabbed. The pool of blood is in the main room. She died in the bathroom. So she 
had, would have had to move or have been moved at some point. Well, there are no drag marks, so they believe that Nancy walked to the bathroom. So people question if Nancy had the ability to get up, like there's this bloody handprint. She obviously got up, right. walked over to the bathroom. People kind of go, well, why didn't she go out the front door and start screaming? Right. She's in a very populated hotel. Sure. Sure, it has no security in it, and that was part of the allure of the Chelsea, but yeah. she would have been able to call out to somebody to get help. Sure. But she didn't. No, she didn't. So another theory is that a drug dealer might have done it. Right. So there's this guy, uh, Victor Colicchio. He was another resident of the Chelsea at the time. He actually moved out the day that he found out about Nancy's death. Oh. He was in the apartment the night before, according to him. He had been called by Nancy. He said that she wanted to in his words, trade pills for pot or pot for pills. He couldn't remember. So he goes to room 100. Sid is passed out on the bed. So he's right. taking his pills at this point. He's out like a light. There's Nancy in the apartment, and then there's another guy that Victor doesn't know and didn't know the name of. Right. And he's in there, and like he says in this interview, like, you know, there was a bag of money on the floor, and the cops actually were able to figure out that they had been robbed of about $1,500 that night. So that bag of money wasn't there when the cops came. I don't think it was. Shit. And according to Victor Colicchio, the next morning when he found out about Nancy's death, he just moved out because he was really worried that he may have been seen by this guy who was in the room who was potentially the killer. I also happen to believe that this is just a man with a screenplay that he wants to sell because uh, um, when he introduces himself, he's like, I'm a writer. Oh, yes. Yeah, so it's one of those, baby. But according to sources, there were two drug dealers that visited the apartment the night of October 11th. And that, plus the fact that there was money missing from the apartment, led people to believe that there was maybe a robbery and that Nancy got involved and was killed in trying to defend herself. Right. Uh, maybe there was a dealer over that was, you know, trying to rob them or, you know, a, a drug deal gone bad, um, right. as people like to say. And there's actually an actor and stand-up comedian named Rockets Red Glare who's confirmed to have been one of the dealers who was in the room that night. Oh. He supposedly dropped off 40 caps of hydromorphone to the room that night, but he denies the fuck out of knowing anything about what happened afterward. Right. Uh, he says that there was another dealer there named Michael that he briefly encountered when he went to the room. Michael right. left while Rockets was there and said that he would come back later with heroin. So Rockets GTFO'd out of there and he kind of believes that it might be this Michael guy, this other drug dealer who ultimately killed Nancy. Right. There's also another theory out there. I heard it from a guy named Legs McNeil who wrote Please Kill Me, which you should go fucking check out. Go Google it now. Basically, Legs was saying that some people think that maybe Nancy stabbed herself thinking Whoa. that Sid would come to her rescue. But Sid was passed out. He was like, well, maybe she was doing it for attention. Whoa, Juliet, that's some drama. Yeah, but he was too fucked up to kind of stand up and be like, no, I'll save you. And then right. it kind of like turned back on her. That's what some people, including Legs McNeil, believe. Other people along that line just say that it could have been a straight up suicide. Nancy was known among some of her friends for cutting herself, mm -hmm. you know, and she's kind of this abrasive wild child anyway. And people try to say that they think that Nancy may have just killed herself in a fit of rage or in an attempt to cut herself or something like that. Wow. Other people think that it may have been a suicide 
had packed gone wrong. Oh, like he was going to overdose and she was going to stab herself? Well, this is the thing. Some people look at it and go, well, maybe Nancy thought that Sid had overdosed and then thought that this was her moment to kill herself. Basically, a lot of people believe that Sid and Nancy kind of had this standing suicide pact with each other. Spoiler alert, Sid Vicious dies and the day after he was found, his mother comes forward and says, I found this note in his pocket and it says all capital letters handwritten in Sid's writing we had a death pact I have to keep my half of the bargain please bury me next to my baby bury me in my leather jacket jeans and motorcycle boots goodbye oh and apparently the pact had been made the summer before so like the summer of 1978 mm-hmm. and creepily enough the last interview that miss vicky did in a magazine mm-hmm. actually said like on the cover why does sid vicious think he'll be dead in two years Oh. Yeah, and a lot of people point to that, and they were kind of like, you know, suicide pact. Another thing kind of along those lines is that Nancy had reportedly said to a lot of people when she was in England that she thought she would never make it to 21. She died at 20. Hmm. But, I mean, that could also be Nancy just trying to be a badass kid. Because, I mean, I knew so many people, you know, like, life's a bitch and then you die, fuck the world and let's get high, you know, like that kind of shit. It's very, like, Edie Sedgwick, you know what I mean? Yeah, she would be writing one of those metal-looking asses if they existed at the time. (laughs) So the thing is, though, Sid's record label really loved this potential angle that it was a suicide pact, and that's really what they tried to lay on with his defense. In fact, they did such a good job of it that Sid ended up getting bailed out for $50,000. Oh, wow. And he was released into the arms of his mother, Anne Beverly, and his new girlfriend, Michelle Robson. So yeah, he had a new girlfriend. Yeah, this is February 1st, 1979. Nancy died on October 12th, 1978. Yeah, Sid is in a committed new new relationship and everyone was like, oh my God, we love her. Because here's the fucked up thing. Like the moment that Sid gets out, he goes to Max's Kansas City and everyone's like, yeah, Sid, our boy, he's back. He finally got rid of that fucking baggage. Damn. Yeah, so he gets a total warm welcome. His mom gives him a bunch of fucking heroin when he gets out. What the hell? Oh yeah, because his mom uh, is a drug addict and she's been his entire life. So I mean, now... She's a rich drug addict via right. her son. So she's just like, welcome out of jail, baby. You know, congratulations on everything. Here's a bunch of dope. Do your thing, baby. And he just fucking spirals out of control Shit. even further. And he ends up getting arrested again for assaulting a guy named Todd Smith. Guess how he assaulted him? Broken glass everywhere. Yeah, specifically in Todd's face. Shit. Yeah, so just like took a glass and fucking went at him. And the Sex Pistols manager, Malcolm McLaren, is just like, oh no, Sid's just in his zenith. And he's booking comeback gigs for Sid, including benefit shows and a fucking album of covers that Sid is supposed to do. <laughs> like a super group of a bunch of his rock star friends, including covers of songs like Mac the Knife. Because that's real fucking sensitive guys. And you want to talk sexism, darling? Yeah, Let's here you talk go. about sexism for a second. Malcolm McLaren, the manager of the Sex Pistols, was dating Vivian Westwood at the time, who put out a Sid Vicious shirt that said, she's dead, I'm alive, I'm yours. What the fuck? Yeah, so people were ding-dong the witches deading this shit, and it was really not cool, because Nancy was known to be a groupie that got lucky, and yeah. people hated her. 
and they thought she was obnoxious and all of this bullshit. And people didn't really give that much of a fuck about Nancy's death. In fact, they just wanted to lift Sid up because if we're being real honest at this point, everyone is just exploiting Sid Vicious's fame. The Sex Pistols are gone, mm -hmm. this guy's a washed up addict, mm -hmm. and everyone's like, yeah, let's throw him on a fucking stage, let's put him on some t-shirts, let's make some money off this fucking guy. Right, get some Miss Vicky hats, totes, pins, t-shirts. Exactly, and like he's doing interviews again, all this kind of shit. But it doesn't really get better for Sid, and in fact, by February 2nd, 1979, Sid Sid was found naked, dead in his Greenwich Village apartment. Mm. He was dead of a heroin overdose. The drugs had been supplied to him, of course. By his mom? And in stark contrast of Nancy's death, people are just heartbroken over the loss of Miss Vicky. And a lot of people are pointing to this suicide pact now because not only does Sid's mother find this note in his pocket that we were talking about before, yeah. but Sid's last on-air interview was on BBC Nationwide. And he's talking about life with this dude and he's asked if he's having fun yeah. Sid says are you kidding me I'm not having fun at all the interview says well where would you like to be Sid says under the ground drama yeah and the interviewer says are you serious and Sid says yeah and in the news they said Sid is no longer vicious he's <laughs> dead wow because people were so tactful in the 70s yeah people right? love a catchy grabbing headline, you know what I mean? I know, right? Burn the witch and make a good headline. That's what we're all about. So the thing is, a lot of people kind of point to this moment where Sid and Nancy have both died to being kind of where punk died. <laughs> yeah, right? I'm surprised that wasn't the headline, punk is dead. Well, it kind of was. A lot of people in mainstream media were kind of taking this situation and making it emblematic of the punk movement. Right. And they were relating it back to, you know, like riots and violence that had happened at Rolling Stones concerts because, I mean, the Rolling Stones were considered very satanic, all that kind of shit. Right. You know? A lot of people do kind of point this as like a watershed moment in punk. And Sid and Nancy just like really embodied the punk scene. Problem was, though, because they kind of embodied the punk scene, a lot of people started to worry that they would now be painted as, you know, hooligans that would just like murder each other right. and, you know, criminals and all this kind of shit. It's kind of fucked up when you think about the legacy of Sid and Nancy's death kind of being this moment where punk died. Sid has just been kind of like burned into the zeitgeist. We still wear yeah. shirts with his face on it too today. Nancy was considered a nothing. Mm -hmm. People historically basically call her a leech. And a lot of people ultimately try to blame her for Sid's downturn in his last few months. They say that she was a whiny, freeloading poser, that she fucked up everyone with heroin. And it's like, surprise, surprise, punk boys are fucking damaged. Right? It's not Nancy's fault. And they try to make it out that she shoved her claws into Sid and that she was this succubus that just, you know, took everything around her and uh -huh. lured people in with this shit. And that Sid was this tortured genius and that she just ruined him yeah you know and made it like a john lennon yoko ono kind of thing they made it a courtney love kurt cobain mm -hmm. kind of thing and this is the problem that i have with the way that this story gets told because this is a problematic stereotype for women in music and it's something that i have seen play out in real time in front of my fucking face story time my whole deal used to be playing in bands. I started playing in like rock, punk, metal, all that shit. I have toured in a fucking van eating fucking 7-Eleven dinners in bands with women, going into metal venues, seeing these women in my band be 
asked who they're dating. Right. They asked if they're doing merch. Regardless of the fact that they're holding their own fucking guitar in the moment. There is this bullshit stereotype that, you know, like they were fighting in the early 90s with Riot Girl that, you know, women in music and in punk and metal are groupies and they're relegated to be off to the side trying to pull a good boy away into their fame-hungry world. Yeah. You know, just trying to get a piece of it. They end up blaming women for the men's problems. And this is basically what they've done in the legacy of Sid and Nancy. Yeah, they basically made her, or it sounds like they made her a scapegoat for his shitty behavior. But this is a thing that I see happen all the time with, like, straight people. Like, uh, you know, a man and a woman will come together. The man's friends start going like, oh, you know, she's trying to change you. She's fucking you up. She's pussy whipping you. Like, all that bullshit. And what's worse is that guys end up believing this misogynistic bullshit. And here's the deal, people. Sid loved Nancy. Nancy loved Sid. Regardless of all this other bullshit that you want to say, you can't blame him for being in love with her. She didn't manipulate him into this. Mm -hmm. They got something from each other. They were obsessed with each other. And remember the fact that Sid was 21. Nancy was 20. They're fucking babies. Yeah, man. This is the thing. And I feel like people write Nancy off as this manipulative, horrible she-devil when it's like, dude, she's a 20-year-old kid. Right. And, like, don't give me this bullshit where it's like, oh, she's old enough to know better. It's like, no, she had a lot of shit standing up against her Mm -hmm. in life. And people have tried to say, like, oh, her parents put her in therapy by the age of four. She was raised in this middle-class family that just coddled her. And Sid was this rough-and-tumble boy that came from nothing in a flat in London. Mm -hmm. and all this kind of bullshit that they use to disparage her and saying all these things as if she's been, like, spoiled by abundance. And it's just ridiculous. I mean, she's a fucking kid, man. Mm -hmm. So the thing with this whole story is that the case ended up getting closed after Sid Vicious died. Right. Sid was the only suspect in the police's eyes. And in reality, he was in the room. He found the body. He couldn't remember what happened. It was his knife. It was cleaned up. Nancy was dead. And even though people don't like to think that he did it, it's a hard sell to the cops to convince them otherwise with all that info. Right. And I mean, at the same time, it's New York in the 70s. It's a fast city to live in. Mm -hmm. The DA probably just wanted to close up the case so that they could deal with the 30 other murders that came in that day. You know what I mean? Totally. That's kind of the unfortunate thing, too. Because, you know, Sid was a junkie and all of this kind of shit, the cops just kind of said, well, case closed. Like, we know what happened. Right. Sid died before he got to go to court, so he was never tried. There was never justice for Nancy's family. They were actually really put through it by the legal system and by the media and things like this afterward. And ultimately, they got no justice for Nancy's death. It's left up to speculation. Exactly. And Nancy ended up being buried in her home of Philadelphia. Deborah Spungen, her mother, ended up getting her master's in social work from Bryn Mawr College shortly after Nancy died. And then she went on to start the Philadelphia-based nonprofit called FMV, Families of Murdered Victims. Wow. And then in 1983, she wrote a memoir called And I Don't Want to Live This Life, which was based off of a line from a Sid Vicious poem. Right. Um, But basically, she tells Nancy's story in there and just kind of talks about who her daughter was Mm -hmm. and what the impact of this has been on the family and how they've had to move through this situation. And that's the story of the death of Nancy Spungen. And I'm not going to call it the story of Sid and Nancy because this is Nancy's fucking story. 
and I hope that we've been able to offer up some respect to Nancy's life in a way that not a lot of other people do. Mm-hmm. Because I really fucking hate this narrative that surrounds her life and her death. This bullshit where women are basically just considered disposable side pieces of genius men who really aren't geniuses when you break it down. And if you really want to know my thoughts, I think Sid killed her. I okay. think he did it in a fit of passion. I don't think he knew what he was doing. And then I think a few months later, he did the same to himself. He had a history of violence. He was obviously fucked up. And he even admitted he had no idea what was going on. Right. Anyway, thank you for letting me talk about that. I was never a huge Sex Pistols fan. I got into punk through Riot Girl. That was like kind of my brand of punk. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was like bands like Bikini Kill and Huggy Bear and Heavens to Betsy. And then it kind of branched out into like Jack Off Jill, Babes in Toyland, L7, all that kind of stuff. And Hole was there the whole time. So for me, I've always kind of felt alienated by punk dudes in this way. And the way that this story was always told just kind of fed into that for me. Sure. So yeah, it was just really important to be able to throw some respect Nancy's way, you know? Right. Anyway, thanks, y'all. <laughs> I just turned into Britney Spears there. Yeah. Thanks, y'all, for listening to my story. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. I just wanted to talk about the punk rock scene for a minute, but now <laughs> I'm back. And I'm here, Tyler, to listen to your story and then to work, bitch. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. So my story today is about one of the gateways to hell. Michael's. Close. Stull Cemetery in Kansas. I don't know her. You don't know her? No, it's full J-Lo Mariah. <laughs> right, well, let me introduce you to her. So Stoll Cemetery, as I said, is believed to be a gateway to hell. According to legend, it is one of the few places on Earth in which the living may access the underworld. And people just knew this? People just knew this. Yeah, so people are like, that's Town Square, mm-hmm. that's the ocean, that's mm-hmm. the gateway to hell. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. Cute. So it's the place where the living can access the underworld but you know it's still very VIP you know you can't just waltz into hell yeah they've got Kenny Kenny at the doorway and he's like I don't think you can get in (laughs) right who's Kenny Kenny a New York club kid legend thank you very much okay I don't know her get into it they take wonderful self portraits and post them on Instagram to this very day beautiful and Kenny Kenny was like the door person everyone knew Kenny Kenny okay Well, I don't know if they're guarding the gates of hell or not. If Kenny Kenny were guarding the gates of hell, it would be fabulous and slightly German expressionistic. Thank you very much. Oh, I love it. So no even corners. None at all. (laughs) Okay. So according to legend, this gateway to hell was opened by witchcraft with the sacrifice of a baby in 1850. Like all good spooky stories, it starts with witchcraft. And baby sacrifices. Like all good spooky stories and all good bachelor parties. Yes. So it is said that witches and other occult groups would often gather in the cemetery and perform rituals and devote their love to Satan in the defunct cemetery chapel. So it was like the clubhouse. They're just playing mash with Satan and his minions' names. They're like, who will I end up with? It's always Satan. Always Satan. Mm -hmm. Totally. And they're always in the mansion. Exactly. But that mansion's in hell. Yes. That's okay. hot. Yeah. So this ominous threat of witches actually got so out of control that the residents of Stoll would kill anyone just for being accused of being a witch 
by hanging them from one tree in a cemetery and then burying them in an unmarked grave. In retaliation, apparently witches would secretly gather in the chapel of the cemetery and summon demons to terrorize the locals. That's what you fucking get. Mm-hmm. Drama from both sides, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah, girl, you brought the drama on yourself. That's what you get for vague booking about witches. Right? So, one of these examples of retaliation was from the early 1900s, where a farmer was burning his crops to rejuvenate the land. Something that people would often do, you know, the burnt grass would then, like, create more nutrients to create better crops. Yeah, like, aerates the land. Yeah, totally. So, while this was happening, apparently, for no explicit reason... The young son of this farmer just ran into the fire and burned to death. You little drama queen. Right? This is a town of drama. Everyone in this town carried a hand fan. Yeah, for yeah, sure. And they would just walk around cracking them. <laughs> yeah. It's where Dynasty was located, you know? Everyone in this town had huge shoulder pads. Mm-hmm. They wore designer couture suits. Yeah. And they had hair that was at least one ruler high. Yeah, at a minimum. If they didn't have to duck when they entered through a doorway, their hair and or hat was not high enough. And that was the dress code that Kenny Kenny was looking for at the gates to hell. <laughs> right. So along with this child just running into the fire and dying, there was also apparently a man who hung himself not on the witch's tree, but on a tree along the old devil's road, which is no longer there, but is apparently visible on old maps of Stahl, which I tried to find and could not find. I was also like, what about this kid running into fire? I was like, there's got to be some information on this kid running into fire. I couldn't even find an article about it. Like, really? I don't think there was that much other news happening at that time. Right? And it's the 1900s. They were making papers, honey. Like, where's this account of this kid running into fire? Unless it's all bullshit. Yeah, and people come for the 24-hour news cycle. It would have been helpful in this case. Right? Where's Nancy Kerrigan when you need her? I say that so often. I know, right? We all just need a little more Nancy Kerrigan in our lives. She's just so sweet. Yeah, she totally proved that at that Disney parade. Mm-hmm. We're throwing out the fucking oldest, most obscure references this time. I know, right? Well, I mean, it is like 3 a.m. It's the witching hour, you know? I don't give a shit. To quote Nina Flowers, Google it, loca. Yeah, okay. Okay, so continuing on with this supposed legend, it's also claimed that one night in the cemetery chapel, the witches were able to summon the devil herself. Through Paul. Yes. <laughs> and he said, you better work, witch. I love how this <laughs> gate to hell is truly becoming a New York nightclub in like the late 80s, early yeah, 90s. This is the gayest gateway to hell I ever did her. I am waiting for Joey Arias to come out and start singing Billy holiday to people. Well, you know, the story's not over, so, you know, sit tight. Okay, I'm gonna start painting my face as a club kid now. Yeah, perfect. So, the witches were like, wooga booga, and then the devil. You shady bitch. <laughs> How can I be serious when you're saying stuff like that? Absolutely. And then the skeleton dance happened. <laughs> okay, so, the devil's there, and then he chooses one woman as his wife. I also don't know what year this is. Late 1800s, I guess. There are not many dates, I just gotta say. I can't believe the devil doesn't know when he got married, but leave it to the devil to just have a real convenient excuse for not remembering his anniversary. Right, exactly. I don't know what century it was. Sorry, hon. You bitch devil. Okay, so he picked one of the witches, and she soon became pregnant and gave birth to a one-eyed babe with a horn, and this baby was covered in wolf's fur. It was born this way. Yeah, it was the devil baby. Duh. 
Townsfolk found out about this child and immediately captured it and its mother, killing them both and burying them under a large tombstone that read witch. And witch was spelled like W-I-I-T-C-C-H. Oh, and the father just gets to walk free. Mm-hmm. He went back down to the, you know, hell. They're like, oh, he has important business to do. Yeah, oh, totally. We don't, we don't want to disrupt what the man has to do. Right? This gravestone actually does exist. I was able to find a picture of it. I feel like somebody might have just walked around this graveyard and was like, that one says witch, and made up some kind of a story about it. Uh, there is an actual name on it. I didn't have the time to look into who this person was, but we will post a picture of it on Instagram so you can see the supposed witch Satan baby tombstone. Yeah, Harrison witch is probably real pissed right now. <laughs> totally. So there was this chapel as well where all of this spooky stuff happened, you know, the summoning of the devil, the summoning of the demons, the satanic rituals, blah, 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 blah. This chapel was said to be cursed. So even after the roof of the chapel fell in, it was reported that rain would never fall inside the chapel's walls. Like even Mother Nature was like, nah, uh, honey, I'm not messing with with that thus proving that even nature doesn't want to go to church <laughs> right nature's like mm, training spaces is on it's like you know what i think i'm gonna do an online course okay so that was all pretty loosey-goosey it wasn't really set in many facts so in researching it further it turns out that this is more or less an urban legend oh you mean the portal to hell's not real well not in this case yeah so the legend of stall cemetery was actually first published in a student newspaper at the university of kansas where it carries on to say that if you go to the cemetery at midnight on halloween and the spring equinox, the devil himself will come to stole and open the gateway to hell in the cemetery. Sounds like student writing. Right? Absolutely. This gateway was said to be a set of stairs buried underneath the ground, and people who would happen to find the stairs were warned against ever going down as there would be no return. Ooh. Oh no, continue. I'm just going to do this underneath <laughs> oh, you while you speak. It's just the atmosphere yeah, for the no, spooky totally. story. Yeah, I figured we could just use some stairway to heaven right now. <laughs> Absolutely. But I don't want to get a copyright things right. so you're getting the vienna boys choir version right we're getting stairways to hell get ready so with this article an urban legend was born and young students just like in the bunny man bridge would come to stole on halloween night and during the spring equinox in hopes of catching a glimpse of the devil in 1978 four years after the article was published 150 people gathered on Halloween night in an attempt to see the devil arrive at midnight. Oh, so like two and a half weeks after Nancy was found dead. Oh, shit. Yeah, mama. Welcome to the overlap. Whoa, you're right. Well, the people gathered at the cemetery, but around 1130, the crowd was turned away and sent home a half an hour before the devil was expected to arrive. Oh, man. The pigs ruined our devil party. Boo. So these devil parties continued throughout the years, but the next big incident was in 1988, which saw almost 500 people gather at Seoul Cemetery to once again try to catch a glimpse of the devil at midnight on Halloween. But just like before, around 1130, everybody was turned away and sent home. Fishy. 
the fact that they weren't turned away at 10, the fact that they weren't turned away at 9, but a half an hour before the devil was supposed to appear, they were turned away. Sounds like that Marilyn Manson Rob Zombie concert that was supposed to happen earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, sorry, the devil won't be able to perform tonight due to sickness, but uh, if you'd like, we've got Ann Coulter here to do some stand-up. <laughs> It's going to be great. And then everybody's like, mm, yeah, you know what? I'm going to go do that online course and catch trading spaces. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> we're more into the supreme evil than the evil next door. Thanks. Yeah. So all of it's to say no one ever really saw the devil. But such events have led to the cemetery being heavily patrolled by locals and police, especially on Halloween. And a hefty fine and jail time could also be laid on anyone whom trespasses after dark. Really? Yeah. They don't fuck around with people sneaking into Stoll Cemetery. Wow. The police just want to keep all that big devil energy for themselves. <laughs> <laughs> totally. In fact, in fact, there have been reports of people being held by police for up to 24 hours if they are suspected to be visiting Stoll to investigate the paranormal. He's our Prince of Darkness. <laughs> right? They're like, the local police need to be charged up with all the evil possible things. We've got making our murderers to be making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Small town bullshit. Right? Despite the birth of this legend being pinpointed in a student newspaper, a.k.a. Total Bullshit. A lot of people do believe that Stoll is haunted by a demonic presence. If not because of the story, but because of the behavior of its residents. A, they're real particular about who comes and goes. And B, they did some really weird shit, which I'm just about to tell you. Are we about to go into the Wicker Man? Kind of. It feels very like that to me. Not that dramatic, obviously, but basically this tree that was in the cemetery, the one that all the witches were supposedly hanged on, was cut down one year, one day before Halloween. Oh, bitch. Like, if you're not trying to create a scene or create a rouse or be, like, sketchy, you're going to cut that shit down in April. Yeah, and they're like, and while we're at it, we were thinking about unearthing a whole bunch of graves, but only ones from before the 1900s. What do you think? Yeah, sounds like a great idea. Let's do it before Halloween. Yeah, probably no witches or vampires, right? Right. Mm. So, we remember the chapel. Oh, how could we forget? Right. In 2002, the old ruins of the decrepit chapel was mysteriously leveled. No one gave permission. No one made orders to have this church knocked down, but somebody did it. And no one in the town will point any fingers or claim to have any knowledge as to why the church was knocked down. Someone knows something. Someone knows something. Now available on Apple Podcasts. Yes, but someone doesn't want to talk about it. Bitches. Yes. So another weird happening based around this cemetery. Again, there isn't actually a lot of paranormal investigation that has gone on at Stall because nobody is allowed to do it. So no ghost programs, no mediums, no ghost investigators are ever able to get permission to go into stall to do any kind of an investigation. Can we get Amy Allen up in here? She'd get probably thrown into jail for 24 hours. They haven't met Amy Allen. Right? But all this to say, such brash and sketchy behavior has only fed further into the legend and in many people's eyes confirms suspicion that there is something out of the ordinary going on in Stoll Cemetery. Another fun fact, it is said that when the Pope flew to visit Colorado in the early 1990s, he specifically rerouted the plane to avoid flying over Stoll because even the 
air was evil above Stoll. <laughs> you don't want none of that evil air. But again, all of this to say, there is nothing that really confirms that the Pope ever made these orders, but it is folded into the legend of Stoll Cemetery. Speculative as it may be, the story is very much alive and well, but there is one diva who was able to get the inside scoop of Stoll Cemetery and perhaps prove that something otherworldly does reside at Stoll. Oh my god, Dolly Parton? Nah, bitch. Celine Dion? No. Ariana Grande. Okay, well, what does Ariana Grande know about the devil? <laughs> so in a 2013 interview with Complex, Ariana Grande talks about her encounter with Stall Cemetery and the paranormal activity that followed her after her visit. Is it chronicled in her new hit song, Thank You, Next, possibly? <laughs> Did she break up with this ghost? She might have. <laughs> we'll have to. The first ghost taught her fear. Yeah. And then the next ghost taught her pain. And then the third ghost brought her what Amethyst Realm has been tapped into for many years. That good ghost dick. That good ghost dick, honey. So for some random ass reason, the interviewer had asked Ariana Grande if she believed in aliens and ghosts. She says, of course, we'd be stupid to believe we are the only people here. And then the interviewer asks, have you ever seen an alien? And she says, not an alien, but I've had a ghost slash demon experience. <laughs> she goes on to say that we were in Kansas City a few weeks ago and went to this haunted castle and were so excited. The next night, we wanted to go to Stull Cemetery, which is known as one of the seven gates to hell on Earth. The Pope won't even fly over it. Okay, so this is where the report came from, Ariana Grande. Yeah, she's got the receipts. We finally know. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Her brother Frankie was the imaginary friend of the cannibal of Rottenburg. Right? So exactly. he's been astral projecting himself for years. It makes sense that Ariana is in touch with the devil. I mean, right? I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Right? The world now makes sense. I know. Finally. So Ariana goes on to describe her experience by saying how she felt sick, an overwhelming feeling of negativity, and the whole car that she was in smelled like sulfur, which she points out is a sign of a demon. And then there is also a fly in the car, which she points out is also another sign of a demon, and she said she was like, this is scary, let's leave. She rolled down the window, and before she left, she yelled out, we apologize, we didn't mean to disrupt your peace. And then she took a picture, and when she looked at the picture later, there were three super distinct faces in the picture, faces of textbook demons. Because she memorized that textbook. Right? You know, when she was filming Victorious, there was a lot of downtime, and all she had was the Necronomicon. So, you know, what's a girl to do? I know. It's how she learned how to read, through the Necronomicon. It makes sense. Yeah. So she's like, photo shoot at the graveyard, licks a tombstone, says, I hate Americans, <laughs> and then thank you nexts out of there. Yeah, she thank you nexts out of there. Mm-hmm. So... When she tells this, the interviewer asks if she's able to show the pictures, but she says, I deleted it. The next day, I tried to send the picture to my manager, and it said, this file can't be sent. It's 666 megabytes. I'm not kidding. I used to have a folder called Demons that had pictures with all the screen caps in it, but then weird things started happening to me, so I deleted it. Get Ariana Grande on this podcast now. Right? <laughs> I know you're listening, Ariana. Yeah. 
<laughs> I know you're listening, Ariana. Yeah, you're somewhere flying over Dubai, listening to that spooky. Come to us, darling. We'll make you a podcast superstar. You, me, Tyler, Sandra Bullock. It'll be wonderful. So the interviewer goes on to ask what kind of weird things started happening to her. And she says, I was going to sleep about two weeks ago. I had just gotten off the phone. And as soon as I closed my eyes, I heard this really loud rumble right by my head. When I opened my eyes, it stopped immediately but when I closed my eyes it started again with whispers every time I closed my eyes I started seeing this really disturbing images with like red shapes then I opened my eyes and got back on the phone and was like I'm really scared and I don't want to go to bed tonight and then I scooched over to the left side of my bed because that's where the best service in my room was and there was this massive black matter I don't know what it was it was like a cloud of something black right next to me. I started crying. I was on the phone like, what do I do? What do I do? And they said, tell it to F off. I thought, I'm not going to do that. That's going to upset it. So I'm just going to chill and not feed into it because that's all it wants is fear. It feeds on fear. I watched it move to the front of my bed and then I fell asleep on the phone. I woke up and it was gone. And then I wrote the song Break Free. <laughs> Totally. Hit it. <laughs> if you want it, I have no track. <laughs> right. Okay. We don't have the rights to that. No, but I can do my Fergalicious speed rap again. Yeah, why no, not? No, I won't. Okay. So, the last part of her story, she says, The next night, her friend Tyler was staying with me, and she said she was trying to sleep, and her body felt paralyzed almost, and she described the same exact thing I saw. So... Do you still think Stoll Cemetery is haunted, or do you think it's a bunch of bullshit? Because, I don't know, Ariana Grande sounds pretty convincing. I think the answer is very clear, Tyler. Ariana Grande is a powerful medium. Yes. And she's kind of like a lightning rod for spiritual activity, and mm -hmm. I truly believe that this whole situation was just building up to Ariana becoming part of the fold. Right. So, if you will, I believe that the energy of Ariana Grande, even before she was physically a part of this world, mm -hmm. was reverberating throughout the cosmos mm -hmm. and created this implanted memory of this urban legend and all of this lore surrounding this cemetery, building up to this moment that she had this encounter. Mm -hmm. I think it is a beautiful story of Ariana Grande connecting with the spirit world and bringing back messages for us. Right. Her hair is full of secrets. No, it's not. It's a high pony. That's very manageable. <laughs> you can easily run a brush through that. There's no room for secrets to be held. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you believe that Ariana Grande is a fire starter? Or just like, I don't know, haunted? Do you think the cemetery is the real deal? Based on what I read, I don't really think Stull Cemetery is haunted. I don't think it's a gateway to hell. I think it's a fun story, but beyond that, I just couldn't really find enough information or enough accounts outside of Ariana Grande's that really vouches for what is supposedly happening at Stull Cemetery. Albeit, there is a lot of weird activity around it, but I think the behavior of the residents is maybe more as a way of protecting their community than trying to keep dark secrets. So I think the answer is clear. You, me, Ariana Grande, we all need to go to this cemetery. Mm -hmm. We need to bring our ghost hunting equipment yeah. with us. We need to spend a night there. Yeah. And I want to find out if the devil is a woman. Yeah. And if the devil is greedy for love, 
I got nothing. I got no other Ariana Grande songs. Do you? No, thank you. Next. Well, thank you, Tyler. That was a freaky one. <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I mean, it had its moments. It was evocative. <laughs> it was spooky. Spooky doesn't have to mean terrifying. It doesn't have to mean like home invasions right? and people eating their own skin or anything. Yeah, it was the sheer needles of scary stories. It was spooky, sexy, and stupid. Yeah, and we got to talk about Ariana Grande's high pony. Detail. We got to talk about Courtney Love today. We got to mm-hmm. talk about so many things that mean so much to us in this crazy, crazy world. Totally. All right. So I guess we're at that point of the show that we come to every week where we look each other deep in the eyes, we take a deep breath, and we say what we learned. So, Tyler, what did you learn this week? Right. So this week I learned to continue to question stories that paint women as these toxic she-devils in order to build up and excuse the shitty behavior of problematic men. Yeah, because they kind of paint this two-dimensional portrait of them. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's like someone like Nancy Spungen, it's like, sure, she had her shit, but she also cleaned up a lot of Sid Vicious's puke and dealt with a lot of his bullshit and abuse in life. Right. And a lot of his life, to a certain point, probably wouldn't have been able to functionally have happen without her getting his ass out of a fucking trip or whatever the fuck he was mm-hmm. going through. Keeping him awake during a fucking interview. Um, okay, well, this week I learned that Ariana Grande is a sensitive psychic medium mm-hmm. and potentially our spiritual demon overlord. Yeah. It sounds like she's tapped into something with the darker side, mm-hmm. and I'm just excited to see how she can fold this into her career. Right. So thanks again for joining us, everyone. We're 10 episodes in, and it's been really cool to get some positive feedback from people. And we're just excited that there are like a whole bunch of spooky bitches out there who want to talk about this shit like we're watching Drag Race or something. Definitely, yeah. And if you want to keep the spooky conversations going, please reach out to us and follow us on Instagram at That Spooky Pod. Yeah, and you can also uh, hit us up on Twitter because we're still there at That Spooky Pod. We're always looking for more scary stories from everyone so if you have one please email it to that spooky pod at gmail.com yeah and you can also smack that ass over at that spooky.com you can look at photos from the episodes you can look at show notes you can hear stuff at some point there will be some more content out there but hey put it in your favorites check it every day maybe there will be an update someday soon right and if you're listening on apple podcasts we would love you forever if you could rate and review us it really helps get the word out there subscribe wherever you're listening and be sure to join us next week because we're gonna have more of our spooky gay bullshit for you babies yes girl all right so kissy kiss kissy christmas and as always if you're gonna be a bitch be a spooky bitch bye bye hi my name is trey i have a basketball game tomorrow (laughs) I'm a point guard. <laughs> hey, Prime members, you can listen to That Spooky early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. If you're listening to this podcast, then chances are good you are a fan of The Strange, Dark, and Mysterious. And if that's true, then you're in luck. 
because, once again, Mr. Ballin' Podcast, Strange, Dark, and Mysterious Stories is available everywhere you get your podcasts. Each week on the Mr. Ballin' Podcast, you'll hear new stories about inexplicable encounters, shocking disappearances, true crime cases, and everything in between. Like our recent episode titled White Dust. After a middle-aged couple fail to answer their daughter's messages and calls, the daughter drives the few hours to her parents' house to check on them, but after arriving and seeing both her parents' cars in the driveway, the daughter gets an uneasy feeling and just can't stomach going inside. To hear the rest of that story and hear hundreds more stories like it, follow Mr. Ballin' Podcast on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Prime members can listen early and ad-free on Amazon Music.